I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast, live-ish from Davos. I've never been to Davos in the World Economic Forum, and my hypothesis was that we would get into these rooms and meetings with these very powerful people, and it wasn't going to be a goddamn thing that we heard that was a better plan than our plan. And what I have learned over the past week is that hypothesis was correct. That's Danelle Baird, CEO and founder of Block Power, the VC-backed startup that is electrifying buildings in low-income communities while training local workers to do the retrofits. Danelle is in Davos with two of Block Power's partners, Jeffrey Dunstan, the CEO of Northeast Brooklyn Housing Development Company, and Dr. Luis Aguirre-Torres, the Director of Sustainability for the City of Ithaca, which is committed to decarbonize its entire building stock. Impact Alpha's Rudy Sonatas caught up with them over Zoom to talk about what kind of good trouble they're getting into in Davos while rubbing elbows with the business and political elite. Let's jump right in. Would love to take a few minutes and and ask you guys, what are your thoughts on the shooting that happened um, in, in Texas? Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's good to meet you. It's great to be here. Um, <clears throat> I think, in, you know, I do have kids, I have two children. And it's infuriating, man. It's it's just, you know, anger. I think what I was feeling last night when I was reading the news. And I just couldn't believe that it's happening again. And I can't believe that we still cannot do anything about it. You know, there is all these efforts that now seem empty. Like, you know, it happened again. And, and for I don't know what we need to do. We probably need to change people, you know, that are dictating the rules at this point. We need to make sure that we vote them out. I don't know, man. I think it is it is just a sense of anger and sadness, you know, that overcomes me. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, we we just you know experienced the Buffalo situation, you know, and now we're hearing about children and a teacher being killed in Texas, right? Of all places, where the gun laws were totally relaxed, right? right. So let the men let the madmen loose, you know, kind of thing. I think that you know where we're at in, in terms of gun policy is ridiculous and i think that it's going to take a real vote of the people to remove those folks in government that will not support gun policies you know and you know i don't think that anyone has said that they're taking away their second amendment right it's the use of the type of weapons that's available to the market right but in the meantime we're watching i I, I mean i've lost count of how many mass shootings we've had um and so here's another one added right yeah, and um, you know, without getting too political, it's it's always astonishing to hear the response, right? So mm-hmm. it's either the gun the gunman has a mental illness, or they you know they, they kind of classify and justify for them, right? But in the meantime, lives are lost. In this case, you know, outside of losing, you know, elders in Buffalo, now we're talking about losing children. Uh, so I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have young children who are in elementary school right now, and I'm, I'm actually pretty shaken up um, by it. I mean, the, you know, I think back to Emmett Till and his mother, who, after he was brutalized, had the open casket. And so oftentimes, you know, you want to be sensitive in these things. But the truth of the matter is the fact that she had that open casket to America and the world, what was happening to children. I have a, I have a six-year-old and a two-month-old. And so when you hear that they cannot identify which body belongs to which child, which belongs to which family, 
because the bullets have mangled the 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 children so much that they can't even identify which kid this corpse is like that that is that is horrible i i think so that's one part i think the my in my left brain i'm thinking you know we have a gun violence problem in new york city and the mayor and the nypd is given block power a list of several thousand young adults who they believe are likely to be involved in a future incident of gun violence. I won't get into their methods, but that's their belief. Mm -hmm. And we have been asked to hire and train um, those individuals on clean energy and how to install solar panels and building electrification projects. And so there's this link between unemployment and disconnection and gun violence and we want to create a new kind of economy that can put people to work in good jobs. So I think part of me is thinking about like, you know, our country's in real trouble. What kind of political coalition needs to be built to not only pass gun reform, but to pass the clean energy legislation that we need? I mean, when it comes to clean energy, all the frustration that we feel about gun reform, where it's like year after year and nothing's changing. We can't have that happen in clean energy. Like we actually have to figure out how to win and be successful at our clean energy policy and legislation or else the whole planet's gonna burn. And so is there kind of a political coalition that can be built to improve the country across a range of matters, you know, gun regulation, um, you know, job creation, clean energy and all the stuff that we need. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking, but what I'm feeling is a lot of heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, speaking of Davos, please give us a picture, um, you know, of what it's, it's been like over there. What's, uh, what's going on? Yeah, Jeff, Luis, what are you seeing? Um, I, have, I, I have seen a beautiful country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where a lot of people are gathering with a lot of various topics and issues. I think Davos, in terms of energy and places that I've been, I, I mean, I see it actively in use. Um, and, and I'm totally amazed, especially in the hotels, right? Uh, with the lights, the lights, you know, set to go off. And if they're not used, they're off. And as soon as yeah. you walk off the elevator, the lights pop back on, right? So, you know, so I'm kind of impressed with the fact that they've incorporated, you know, conservation into these buildings um, as such. We were talking earlier about how it is so different from what we had in our heads. You know, we're coming here to meet the elite, you know, to meet the billionaires and the decision makers and the guys that are shaping the future. I mean, a lot of the conversation is, you know, on one hand about the past. It's all about, you know, like, oh, yeah, we've done this. And then there's people talking about, you know, this, the status quo, you know, it's something that we need to change. Yeah. And then there is a lot of intention and good intention, but there is, you know, very little proposal, like you actually, you know, operational proposals that, that could actually take, you know, the status quo, throw it away and create a new future. It is impressive to see how much interest there is in, in, in anything related to blockchain and Bitcoin. You know, it's, it has really taken over. There's been, you know, important conversations on equality, important conversations on climate change, uh, important conversations of, of the role of government, private sector, civil society, uh, what you can do as an individual. And But once again, you know, we get all together and it's like, there is so many calls for action, you know, like so many. Right. But yeah. there is no roadmap. There is no like, let, like, let's do this. <clears throat> and then you have 
it, you know, this is important to say because, you know, you have somebody like, like Donnell that comes in and tells you as it is, you know, like this is the way I see it, this is the way we should go and what, why, and asking the tough questions. And everybody applauds and, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a real question, you know, what are we doing now? Like, what, what is next? And I think there is a responsibility that people are understanding here. There is, you know, the fact that they are here means they care and there are different agendas, but, you know, they, they care. But the next step is going to be the hardest one, you know, make a step in the right direction and something that we can sustain, you know, and, and not wait until Davos next year to see that it worked or it didn't work, but to have a way in two months to say, you know what, we probably need to fix something else, you know, and, and you know, but being real about it. So it's been mixed experience, nothing like we expected, but wonderful to see so many people with so much influence care about this issue. Next step is a hard one, and I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, that we're, we're going to make it. I, I want to pick up on something that Donnell put out there in terms of the connection between gun prevention and the opportunity to create jobs, right? I mean, I think, and as a partner with Block Power, you know, we work with them to make sure that we can help assist in placements and things of that nature through my organization. You know, and I think, you know, there's a real opportunity here to really look at how to take advantage of the green energy jobs or the potential of them, right? To train, to expose young people to the, you know, what the possibility is, right? Um, but here again, we're waiting on government to move some things forward to make it a real opportunity, right? In the interim, we have to deal with the, you know, social mechanisms to you know, help folks begin to understand the benefits, right? And so, you know, it's a lot of work and, you know, I'm glad to be a partner with Block Power on this and whatnot. Oh, you know, and not only because, you know, we're on the ground, we're in housing, we understand the socioeconomic issues, right? And so I think, again, there is a, there is connective tissue in New York for this. And I think, you know, the, the mayor is committed to this. Um, and so he, he really needs to put resources behind it or continue to put resources behind it uh, from the previous administration into his administration now, right? And so, you know, I think that's where we begin to figure out what does a real coalition look like around gun prevention, right? Because you have to have the young voices to get involved with it, right? To embrace the, the, the issues and become the voices. Yeah. yeah, you know, today yeah. Masukato was giving a talk about, you know, market creation, and and he was talking about this coalition that is being created to, you know, redefine markets, and in the, in you know, in the process of doing that, you know, talk again about what the social contract should be for this to be successful, and and I think today was was very meaningful because you know people were paying attention, and there was a a concrete proposal that is still hard, you know, for for everyday people to to implement, but at the same time, you know somebody came and say like you this is what we can do and and you know like when we bring it back to the u.s most of the people here that i have met from the u.s including us to be honest you know and uh we have a concrete proposal of what we can do you know because it's all together so it's like we were talking about you know the war in ukraine we're talking about the shootings we're talking about clean energy it's all connected and, mm -hmm. and finding that nexus perhaps is, is hard but once we do that then we, we may have a solution and, and that's why we're here I think that what Jeff and Luis have shared is so important. I just want to double click on it a little bit, as they say, double click. Look, my hypothesis here is based on when I was in business school 10 years ago, I went to a Clinton Global Initiative event and I was terrified. 
they put me in a room to talk about clean energy. You had General Wesley Clark, who'd run for president. You had Theodore Roosevelt IV, who was the grandson of Teddy, President Teddy Roosevelt. You had Jim Rogers, who was the CEO of a global energy utility company. Um, you, you had superstars from the political world and the business world. And here I was, a, like a, a, a grad student who didn't know anything about business. And right before I went in, I realized how intimidated I was. I had to go to the bathroom and try to calm myself down. And I was so nervous, I couldn't speak. But about 45 minutes into the meeting, as I was listening to them, I realized what Luis just said. I always thought there was some master plan on climate change. And when you get to the highest levels, you're at the Clinton Global Initiative and you're in the room with former presidential candidates and the children of presidents, that that secret plan for climate change or that secret plan for reducing gun violence would be revealed to you by the, the people who control the puppet strings. And there is no master plan. So my hypothesis, I've never been to Davos in the World Economic Forum, and my hypothesis was that we would get into these rooms and meetings with these very powerful people and our plan that we've been demonstrating in New York with Jeff Dunstan in Brooklyn and NEPCO, greening dozens and dozens, almost 100 buildings, the plan that Luis Aguirre Torres has put together for Ithaca, where we're going to electrify 6,000 buildings. My hypothesis was that we were going to get here to Davos, and it wasn't going to be a goddamn thing that we heard that was a better plan than our plan. And what I have learned over the past week is that hypothesis was correct. And that is why I'm so grateful to Luis and Jeff for taking time out of their schedules to come to Davos. What is this? This is a scouting mission. We're going to have the full-blown Davos in six months in January. What's going to happen is tomorrow morning, the World Economic Forum, at their request, has asked to meet with Jeff and Luis and myself because they also understand that our plan is a better plan on climate than many of the other plans that are being discussed. And I fully expect all of us to be invited back in January with the full imprimatur of the World Economic Forum for Davos in January to discuss how we are leading the way on clean energy in New York in a way that other cities around the world need to follow. Now, it can be hard for certain kinds of people to accept leadership from a brown brother named Luis and a brown brother named Jeff. It can be hard for certain kinds of people to accept that. But what we're doing is working with the WE, uh, the World Economic Forum, to, to educate everyone that we have solutions that we've been demonstrating in Brooklyn with Jeff, that we're starting to demonstrate in Ithaca. And then New York is going to lead the way on this thing in terms of job creation, clean energy, and building electrification, that we can chart a path to save the planet and build the kind of political coalition that's necessary to do gun violence, climate change, and solve all other kinds of problems. That's why we're here. Wow. I would love to follow up on that. Dr. Louise, you're a local elected official. Jeffrey, you've almost 30 years in affordable housing and community development. And Donnell, you're doing really amazing work with electrifying uh, buildings and this partnership with, with uh, the city of Ithaca. You guys are used to hearing from people, right? From going out in the communities and hearing what, what, you know, what are their concerns? What do they want? Um, 
what do they think about the clean energy transition? How can they participate in this transition as well? Now, from what Danelle said, it seems like you guys are going to report, right? What are the most significant key points you guys want to make sure that you're heard as you go into this meeting um, tomorrow morning? I think, I think what we can bring to the table is real stories, right? Real interaction, right? Um, we talk about Lewis, you know, electri electrifying 6,000 buildings in Ithaca, right? Or not. Well, you know, Northeast and, and its partner, Trinity Financial, just did 180 units in Brownsville, New York, where the building was forced to become electric, right? On the affordable housing side. You know, do we really understand what that really means at this point, right? Other than getting the political praise that a new construct, newly constructed building in the middle of public housing, right, that now has to become a part of the Van Dyke community is fully electric, right? I'm not even sure of the, of the, of the metrics of how we measure that because the pipeline was denied New York City, right? And so we were forced to move to electric in a affordable housing model. And so while I appreciate, you know, the work with, with Trinity Financial was our partner on that, um, I think, it's, it's, you know, we have stuff to learn down the line and, and what it really looks like. And it's the first step in New York City towards electrifying buildings. And, and that's important. I, I think, you know, we heard a lot about, you know, from, from, from Kerry, Al Gore, Raimundo, uh, you know, everybody who came here and, and everybody's trying to inspire and, and provide hope. But, you know, we had hope for such a long time. You know, we've been hopeful for a while, but people need this opportunity. So I think somehow tomorrow we're going to talk about, you know, thanks for the hope, but we're here to give you some opportunity for change, you know, for job creation, for clean energy, to get people, you know, away from the streets and back to work and, you know, doing something productive for the country, for the planet. So, I mean, if I were to summarize this, you know, this is, this came, this realization came from a conversation with a different person, but the truth is, yeah, I mean, we're sick and tired of hope, you know, <laughs> let's bring yeah. opportunity and, and that's what we need. Yeah, yeah, let's bring some reality and let's bring the reality. We're, we're New Yorkers and New York is a very real place. I mean, hope, <laughs> hope and $2 can't even get you a cup of coffee in New York. I mean, yeah. not in Ithaca, not in Brooklyn, no place, right? And so... I think when you hear and you read in between the lines of what Luis and Jeff are saying is there's a lot of people who talk about doing a lot of stuff, but we, we're actually doing it. We're doing it in Brooklyn together. We're doing it in Ithaca and we can bring the reality of the experience of, of how do you finance electrification and affordable housing right. yeah. in, in one of the biggest real estate markets in the world in Brooklyn. How do you, how do you finance and implement electrification of an entire city. And one of the things I'm working on, and I don't want Jeff and Luis to be too surprised by this, but they know me, they know what I'm about. We're trying to put together a global coalition of cities that are gonna follow their lead in Brooklyn and Ithaca, Stockholm, Rio de Janeiro, oh. cities around the world, Cairo, where the United Nations is hosting the climate negotiations in its 27th year, they need to learn lessons from Brooklyn and from Ithaca and our plans and our implementation. Why don't we have a grand challenge, a global challenge where we say, this is what we're doing in Ithaca. This is what we're doing in Brooklyn. 
how about some of you other countries step up and let's make it a friendly competition. Let's get this thing going. Uh, we're New Yorkers, we're competitive, um, but that's a message that we're bringing. And so the, the time that I've spent here at Davos has been talking with folks from different cities, from uh, people in Perth, Australia, people from Cairo, people from Dubai, uh, people from the, sl the slums in Kenya, which, which has a million people and is larger than most cities, the slums and the favelas in Rio de Janeiro. What can we put together so that we can collaborate and take lessons that we're learning from all of the work that's being done in Ithaca and Brooklyn and apply it to a global challenge. And are there other cities around, excuse me, around America that want to follow our lead? And so Menlo Park, Palo Alto, where Stanford is located, uh, Savannah, Georgia. These are cities that are inspired by Ithaca. They're calling Luis and asking him for advice. So let's figure out a way to formalize this and, and make sure that the leadership that's being provided by Ithaca and Brooklyn, by Luis and Jeff is global and is national and is as influential as it needs to be. So that, that's why we're all here in Switzerland. Wow. So the goal from the start, right? So the goal for, for Davos was going in and kind of starting up the conversation. How can other global cities uh, use the model that you, Blackfire, have been implementing in partnership with local elected officials. Yeah, we, yeah we, we wanted to be humble. We wanted to listen and hear what other people had to say and see if they had some best practices that we could learn from and take notes. But we listened for a little bit and, yeah. and our plan is better. And so, yes, that's correct, Rudali. Did, did, you hear from, did you hear from them? Did you hear from any potential partners from say Stockholm or, or, or Rio? Um, yeah, yeah, we, we, we met with the mayor of Stockholm. Oh. These people have heard of the work that's going on in Ithaca. Ithaca is a global story that's inspirational to people. We heard from Perth, Australia. I mean, Louise, who, who all is reaching out to you to, for your advice and guidance on this? Yeah, we have talked to a couple of cities in, in Denmark. Uh, we talked to uh, elected officials in Tel Aviv, in Tokyo, uh, in Morocco, in Ethiopia. So, so we are definitely talking uh -huh. to a large number of, of people who are interested in the work that we're doing. And, and you know, for a lot of them, it's, it's a bit of a mystery, but, you know, Jeff mentioned it, you know, a lot of the time what we need to do is, you know, we need to force people into making the right decisions. You know, in the case of Brooklyn, you know, a non-pipes alternative, you know, eventually led affordable housing to be full electric. But then there was the skill and there was the knowledge and the understanding of making it happen. And I think Donnell is, is absolutely right. We need to create a global coalition of cities willing to do this, willing to take the next and hard step, you know, to make it happen. So yeah, we're, we're talking to a large number of uh, cities and organizations that want to help those cities. So you know, we're ready to roll. I just want to add that you know, I'm more interested in, in real implementation on the ground, uh -huh. right? So <clears throat> the beauty of working with, with, with Black Power is really taking and furthering the implementation of what they're doing, right? In a real way to, to be impactful to local residents, right? So here again, we need to engage them in these conversations. You know, um, you know, the old cliche, uh, an educated customer is the best customer, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. we have to educate folks that are not and have not been exposed to the idea of what energy conservation is, right? We're talking about communities of color where these conversations don't happen on a daily basis, right? Where, where public housing doesn't encourage, you know, conservation, um, you know, even, even, in affordable housing, it doesn't encourage conservation, right? But but yet we, we're told that you know we have to maintain recycling, so we have to educate residents now on how to separate out bottles and cans, 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you know how big of a task that is for, you know. Oh, well, but, but Jeff, you were talking about how energy efficient the hotels here in Switzerland are. Yeah, Why can't our affordable housing in Brooklyn and Ithaca be like that, right? I mean, and that that's that's what we're here to figure out how to do. I I agree, and and, and I want to double click on a conversation that I had that I haven't even had the chance to talk to Jeff about. You know, Jeff is actually helping to hire many of the vulnerable young adults who we train on clean energy, on how to electrify buildings, uh, who put solar panels on Rikers Island, even though they're parents are incarcerated in Rikers Island or they themselves may be incarcerated at Rikers Island. I won't, we have a young man on our team. I won't share his name, but he, he was in Rikers Island. Wow. Yeah. And he was trained and hired to be on the team to install solar panels on Rikers Island. On the bus ride over, he burst into tears because he said, I'm, I'm going back to the island. I never wanted to come back, but I'm coming back to do something positive because the solar electricity generated from Rikers Island is providing low-cost clean energy to low-income communities in in harlem in 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 western manhattan um now jeff mentioned that he's helping to hire and create long-term career opportunities for many of the young people that we're hiring and training well jeff is doing that with us in brooklyn we're going to be doing that in ithaca where 20 percent of of the city is low income but they also need to do that in europe yeah yeah. They don't have enough construction workers in Europe to decarbonize, to electrify. They have to train up a whole new generation of young people to do construction work. And we're showing them on workforce development, on job creation, on how to have a career. Uh, the lessons that Jeff has shown us about how do you put young, vulnerable young people into long-term careers and have them thrive. Again, that's a, that's, it's not just the buildings. It's also building up the people. Um, and those templates and frameworks can be applied you know, in Europe and, and any place else. So that, 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 that is something that I'm very excited about. I'm proud of the work that they're both doing on that. Just to wrap up what I was trying to say uh-huh. is that in this process, it is educating folks about the issue of climate change, of mm-hmm. the need to look at conservation, you know, and, and this is our pathway to doing it. And, and look, this is so important. You know, the three of us are hands-on people. You know, we like to do the work. We hate just talking about it. But the three of us wearing a suit at the same time, that's historic, man. That yeah. is truly really historic. But that's how important this is for us. Who, who, yeah. who irons y'all suits? Y'all look good, man. Got the iron out. You know, <laughs> I have ahead. a question for you, Donnell. It seems like you're approaching, well, you're approaching global frontiers. But Black Power is still very local and, and which, which is a good thing because the work has to be done locally first and then you know you expand further and further national but the national battlefields you haven't really conquered yet so are you worried about i don't want to say the workload but is it do you think it, it would be too much for block power if there's opportunities and the global frontiers that you haven't really yet conquered on a national level if you understand look 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 at who we're on the phone with i mean jeff doesn't need my help and advice luis doesn't need these are brilliant strong powerful leaders who they don't need our help black power's job is to facilitate and make part of their work easier for achieving the clean energy vision that they have so we're a facilitator and when we when we choose the right partners Mm-hmm. who are geniuses like i'm not afraid to say i mean they're shy i don't need to be shy on their behalf like luis is a genius jeff is a genius 
And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I think if you look at their track record and what they've achieved in very difficult circumstances, I mean, Jeff Dunson has built an affordable housing, I'm going to use the word empire, a benevolent empire on behalf of helping families in New York. Luis showed up in Ithaca like a superhero. You know, like how Keanu Reeves landed in the Matrix yeah. and then he changed everything <laughs> around him as soon as he landed and all the bullets, he stopped all the bullets. Yeah. I mean, he showed up in Ithaca and less than one year later, Ithaca's passed a law to decarbonize, be the first city in the world. Think, think about that. Now, there's people here at the World Economic Forum who spent 25 years trying to accomplish what Luis and Jeff have accomplished in a year. And Block Power's job is to facilitate, is to find the right partners who will go deep. And at the same time, we're going to expand while going deep vertically, but we're going to take best practices as we expand horizontally. If you look at a company like Uber, or Airbnb and the way that they expanded nationally and globally, you have, to, you have to have a framework for picking the markets that you're gonna expand to. We're not gonna run around willy-nilly. We have data on San Jose. We have data on Buffalo or Rochester. And that will help us determine, is Buffalo the, the correct city? Is that the second city upstate that we should go to? Or should it be Syracuse or should it be Rochester? So there's, there's data, there's relationships, that will help us determine the correct uh, next steps, not only nationally, but globally. So we wanna have 10 to 20 cities nationally and another 10 to 20 cities globally. And we believe that we'll raise the capital and find the teammates. Um, and, and, you know, Luis and Jeff are hard to find, but we know that they're strong leaders uh, uh, ac across America and across the world. And we gotta pick our partners uh, yeah. shrewdly. And that's what, we'll that's what we have done, obviously. And that's what we'll continue to do. Got it. And, and look, I mean, the question wasn't for me, but I, I need to say because once again, you know, Donnell is shy. No, he's not shy. But he's not <laughs> saying this. You know, uh, there is a process, you know, what, what we learn from Block Power is that, you know, there is a lot of value in listening to the community, you know, to, to really crowdsource a lot of the solutions and a lot of the, you know, the, the things that we don't see because we're so much into the day to day. So imagine if we were to do this globally. Imagine if we were to have 60 cities around the world working on the same, electrifying every single building. Imagine everything that we could learn. I mean, we don't want to read in a book like 20 years later how it didn't happen because of this and that. Wow. I mean, we want to make it happen, you know, in real time. So I think Block Power's ambition to go on global is justified because of the benefits. You know, it's hard, but, you know, that's what they do. What does it mean for Ithaca to be the first city right, to implement this, this, you know, citywide, I mean, 6,000 buildings, you're going to be electrifying 6,000 buildings. What does it mean for the city of Ithaca to be the first to do this? Well, I, I think for one, the, the city as a whole, collectively, we became com comfortable with uncertainty. We are not comfortable with the certainty of the world ending because of climate change. We are more comfortable with the uncertainty of how this process is going to go. Uh, we know we're going to find a lot of you know problems that we're going to have to fix and people are aware of that nobody expects this to be awesome and in, in three years we're going to be all electric you know we know it's going to be hard and we know we don't have the right people right now so we need to train people mm. but mostly there's this collective sense of ownership and 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 you know i couldn't really overemphasize how comfortable most of the city are today with uncertainty and and that's the step that we need to take you know we cannot wait for the perfect solution. So we are happy to, to, to start and lead. And if we are capable of doing that, you know, that's our value. That's what we add to the world. And, you know, we may screw it up, 
but then the next city may not. And and I think we're really comfortable with that position. So I, I think that's what it means. It means it means giving something to the world. And you know, you should see how beautiful it is, how truly beautiful it is when you hear regular citizens talking about this program. Mm -hmm. And and you know, I went to cut my hair the other day, and the guy didn't recognize me. It's a small town, so kind of everybody knows me. But this guy didn't recognize me, and he started telling me about, you know, do you know that we're electrifying our buildings, you know, and this this crazy idea. I was like, well, tell me more about it, man. And and it was the first time that I heard from somebody completely honestly what he thought about it. And he's really excited. And and I was like, that's all I needed, man. I needed this validation. So I think that's that's what it means. Jeffrey, I covered real estate, and the conversation I kept trying to drive is what can the real estate industry as a whole do. Um, to take part in the climate transition and, and the low carbon transition. What, what kind of conversation are you having with your peers to take a part in this uh, clean energy transition? Because they can do it as amenities. They can do it as, um, you know, community-based amenities um, for the surrounding organizations near their affordable housing uh, uh, properties and such. So what kind of conversations are you having with your peers to kind of encourage them to participate in the in, in the uh, energy transition? Well, the honest, the honest answer is very few conversations, right? Um, we're looking at this phenomenon of being forced to, to do electric buildings, right? In, in the midst of the pandemic, right? And again, only, only because the prior government wouldn't allow a pipeline, right? So I think I think the conversations are happening at a higher policy level and not necessarily at a local level, right? In terms of impact, right? Mm -hmm. So it may be that we're looking, you know, in the candy jar and trying to understand how to work through the candy jar, right? Um, there's a lot to pick out, right? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I also don't want to relegate this only to affordable housing, right? Because yeah. it's impactful across all the, the markets, yeah. right? So I think sometimes we have to be careful how we intertwine affordable housing into these type of discussions, into policy decisions, um, because it's a, it, you know, it's a segment of the real estate market. Is you know, affordable is not the you know major player. In it's just one asset market. class, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. But if if you can decarbonize affordable housing, what's what's your excuse? Market rate housing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if 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 we can figure out how to to get this done, which Jeff is doing, again, it creates a template or a beacon oh. or a pathway for all other kinds of buildings to follow and. Um, I heard a stat here in Davos today, 70% of, of global wealth is real estate assets. I mean, the globe, the, the entire global economy is real estate yeah. and it contributes 30% of carbon emissions uh, in the United States is 20% of greenhouse gas emissions, but 30% of um, carbon emissions. And as you said, this, this is, you know, a, a massive asset class, but you know, we're going to chart the way yeah. forward as to as to how to decarbonize this asset class. Yeah, look, we are, uh, you know, we are so determined to make this happen. You have no idea. 
And, you know, we're inspired by, by history, man. Every major revolution that transformed a country or the planet started by, you know, an uprising of the disinvested, uh, of those who have been left behind, of those who people thought couldn't do it. And, and you know, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, it's a, a brown dude or a black dude, you know, but mostly coming from those places where we saw this investment, it affected our lives. So we know what we're talking about and we, we, we know what the future could be like. So we are determined, we're intrepid, we're gonna make this happen. And, you know, it's more than worse, you know, we're actually trying to show it every single day. And, and you know, for me, I, I, you know, I, I guess from a New York perspective, we are still coming out of a pandemic, right? with a whole new set of issues um, on affordable housing and rents, right? So we're dealing with institutional issues at this point yeah. and, and what that really looks like. So I think the conversation um, is changing a bit at the same time, trying to figure out how to meet these challenges, mm -hmm. right? Um, we have a recovery issue that we have to deal with. And what does that look like going forward? Um, so I think we're somewhat in a complicated conversational space, but I think again, for those of us who are used to being on the ground and, and, and you know, out, outside of policy, because sometimes policy don't reflect reality, yeah. right? Um, because you have to be on the ground with the people and hear the people and then figure out the best solution, right? We understand we can't do the fix on all the issues, but if we get those issues that are important to people fixed, that, that begins the broader conversation, right? It begins a mobilization and an opportunity to, to build a coalition around, you know, where we need to go, right? So like Louise mentioned, when he can sit down with a local resident who don't recognize him and he's talking about his project and he's excited about it, that's validation. Mm -hmm. Anything to mm -hmm. add? No, I'm just I'm just incredibly proud to be um, to continue to learn from Jeff and Luis. I'm glad they they brought their New York State swagger to Davos. We're gonna <laughs> teach these folks. <laughs> we're gonna teach these guys a thing or two while we're here. Um, but we 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 came here because we we mean business. And um and you I I hope that you um have have seen that this is the right team that's experienced that has a track record uh, to help lead on these issues. And uh, that, that is certainly what we intend to do. So, um, you know, always grateful to you, Rudgali, um, for taking the time to, to, to check in with us. Um, and certainly we'll, we'll keep you updated on the adventures of the three musketeers as we, as we keep pushing this forward. <laughs> I love it. So I love it. Touch. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so uh, much, guys. Bye-bye. Love with everything. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Danell, Luis, and Jeffrey, as well as all about Block Power. And check out Rudy's recent photo feature on a Block Power project in Brooklyn at impactalpha.com. Big thanks to all of them, as well as to our producer, Isaac Silk, and the whole team at Impact Alpha, Investment News for a Sustainable Edge. I'm David Bank, editor and CEO, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.